0: A sudden onset of intense headaches, light sensitivity, mental fatigue, and brain fog. It makes sense that you might head to see an optometrist if you're experiencing these symptoms. Compromised vision affects the whole body, and your brain works really hard to compensate and fix it. What if your optometrist was the first person to consider Lyme disease as the cause of your symptoms? In this episode of Looking at Lyme, we're going to take a good look at that. Cameron McCrodin is on a mission to ensure that no child or adult is left struggling with a treatable condition. He is an optometrist and author who specializes in neural visual performance, and he understands the engineering of the visual system. This is good news for Lyme patients because he understands the impact that the disease can have on the brain and the visual system, and more importantly, how they function together. Dr. Cameron McCroden joins us from his clinic, Optimization, in Victoria. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. McCroden.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: I found a really great quote on your website, and I think it really frames up our conversation nicely. And the quote is, you don't see with your eyes, you see with your brain. Can you explain that concept to our listeners?
1: Yeah. So, so traditionally we, you know, we often just think of our eyes as cameras that sort of take in the world. Um, And and we often overlook the fact that our brain is really what's responsible for not only deciphering what comes in and putting it together, um, but also for controlling what our eyes do. So it's, it's sort of a dual system there. So, so in essence, really, you know, the engineering nerd in me is like all that comes in your eyes is a bunch of ones and zeros, but your brain has to put it all together, whether it's depth perception or, or anything else.
0: Well, that's interesting listening to your engineering brain figuring that out too.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's funny. I mean, it was like you could take the kid out of engineering, but you can't take the engineering out of the kid.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so how did you become interested in this field?
1: Um, so I, I actually I finished optometry school um, and was practicing and, and 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 I felt like there was something I was missing to some degree and a colleague of mine put me on some courses in this area, because in optometry school and our traditional model of vision they don't really teach you much about how the eyes and the brain work together it's, it's sort of taught a little bit but but not a ton. And as I got further into it, I realized that I'd had family members who actually struggled with some of these issues um, over time, and, and it really kind of asserted my passion for it in that area. And then once I got into it, I realized it was literally just kind of the engineering of how our vision works, and, and it was kind of a, a perfect fit for me. Um, and that was almost 10 years ago now.
0: Oh, wow. And so what is neural visual performance?
1: So neurovisual performance is sort of, it's, it's kind of like where we take things beyond just how clearly somebody sees. So, you know, the clearness of our vision or that 20-20 thing, that's, that's what we often think about when we think vision. In reality, though, the performance side of stuff is how well can your brain decipher depth perception? How well can it actually control how your eyes are used together? Um, there's a, there's a ton of things there that go beyond just seeing clearly. And that's where the neurovisual performance part comes into it. And you could be dealing there with an athlete where you can improve their hand eye coordination and, and the speed at which they can do that. Or you might be working with a person who has incredible sensitivities in busy places like grocery stores or sensitive to lighting or screens and their sensitivity there could actually be because their eyes don't work together quite the way that they should um, and and that's on the neurovisual side of stuff, kind of how the eyes are controlled.
0: So, how can infections like Lyme disease impact visual and brain function?
1: I, I think it can happen in a number of areas, actually. So, oh, a lot of people sometimes can be walking around with some areas of visual function that maybe aren't quite as great, but but they get by. Their system can compensate for it or cope with it. And then if you end up with something like Lyme disease, where you know your your nervous system is, is basically put under a greater amount of duress, um, and then the visual issue might become more more obvious, or all of a sudden you can't cope with it anymore. On the flip side of that too, because vision's neurologically controlled, any kind of disease or process such as Lyme that can affect the neurological system can also end up affecting how vision works as well. And it can be incredibly frustrating for patients with Lyme disease sometimes because they'll often notice that their vision just doesn't feel the same as it used to, or it bothers them more. And they'll go for an eye exam or a test and be told that their eyes are physically healthy, Um, which quite frankly is often true. You know, the eyes are healthy, but it's actually a problem with how the eyes and the brain are working together.
0: Oh, that's such a great explanation. That makes so much sense. What are some of the signs and symptoms or presentations of Lyme that you've that should be on the radar for optometrists?
1: Um I mean there's the if if we're keeping away from necessarily like the pathology part of it right. and and staying on more of the neurovisual side of it as because these are some of the things that actually impact people's quality of life the most where optometrists really need to be looking out for things is is stuff around you know light sensitivity, screen sensitivity, Headaches, trouble with focusing or reading, sometimes difficulty in busy visual environments, uh, issues around sort of depth perception and, and visual kind of spatial processing can even impact dizziness and balance. Um, as well, you know, 70% of the information coming into our brain is visual. And if that system isn't working quite the way it should, it can actually also lead to increased fogginess. So, really, when a patient comes in who has Lyme disease, um, often one of the things we're looking at is is we want to separate kind of what's visual maybe related to the Lyme or not um, from what is truly just the Lyme disease. Because unfortunately, a lot of the visual problems, people just kind of go, oh, you have Lyme disease, you're also stuck with these things as well. You know, it's it's like, sorry, the screen sensitivity and light sensitivity is just part of Lyme disease, when actually it may be a visual condition related to the Lyme disease, but the visual condition is treatable. Um, And that's where optometrists really need to look at a a full workup of how the eyes and the brain actually work together um, during the exam. And that'll allow them to tell if there's anything that can be done to help with some of those symptoms.
0: Yeah, you know, I remember when I first got sick, and I just immediately developed these intense headaches. And I was so sensitive to light, especially fluorescent lighting. And I can relate to what you're talking about when people go into those big kind of box stores with bright lighting. And it was just totally overwhelming. I couldn't process it. Um, but I really think that onset of the light sensitivity, you know, it really should be a red flag and some something to consider as, uh, you know, possibly Lyme.
1: It, it, incredibly. Um, and, and I think that's where optometrists, you know, when we have people presenting with that stuff also – you know, being able to make sure that we can make adequate referrals or suggestions for people to get tested for Lyme um, because, you know, our, our our exposure educationally to Lyme disease within Canada has has been a trickier one over the years. Um, I know a lot of my American colleagues, you know, it's it's been on their radar for a long time. Uh, often up here, it was just sort of said like, we don't have it.
0: Yeah, that's a really great point that optometrists could play a role in those referrals for testing.
1: Uh, ab- absolutely. Absolutely um and and just you know making sure that patients get out there um, totally and, and have those things tested based on some of the visual symptoms that often come up and 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 the other one that's really important for people to know too is that from the visual component when somebody does have Lyme you know treating the visual conditions you know you're not necess- like you can't treat or change the fact that they have Lyme you know that's outside of the visual realm but at least if we can if we can help them in the visual world of things and decrease the light sensitivity um, or at least decrease some of the headaches if they're caused by some of the visual conditions that come along with it, then, you know, the quality of life while you're going through treatment for Lyme is a lot better.
0: Absolutely. I mean, improving that quality of life is just so essential and gives, gives hope to people, right, to keep uh, pursuing their treatment. How, how might compromised vision affect the rest of the body, like balance, for example?
1: So the balance one's a, a really, really interesting one. And, and, and it's actually more fun if you get to show people in person too. But as far as balance goes, your equilibrium and your balance system is, is hugely affected by vision and depth perception. So if your eyes aren't working together properly and your depth perception ends up a little bit off, it can actually very, in a very extreme sense in some cases or a slight sense in others, impact people's balance or even just, again, their sense of equilibrium. Many people say, you know, I don't feel dizzy, I just kind of feel, uh, you know, a bit of a disequilibrium sense. Um, and that's where the depth perception piece can play into it and, and where vision plays a role there as well. Um, but again, if we're only testing for clearness or the health of the eye, we, we miss those things. Um, and a lot of patients walk out the door with their same symptoms um, and sometimes quite frustrated.
0: Is there a quick test that people can do to see if their eyes are tracking properly? I remember seeing something at a conference where they put scotch tape vertically on the glasses, sort of close to the nose, and somehow this improved function. Does that make any sense to you?
1: Uh, absolutely. So, so what that's called is called binasal occlusion. Now, I'll, I'll, we'll, I'll dive in briefly to what binasal occlusion does, and then that will help sort of the rest of that question. So what binasal occlusion does is putting a little bit of a piece of tape at the nose of kind of either eye of the glasses blocks out a little bit of the visual field of each eye. And then the brain doesn't have to compare the two fields quite as much. Now, the tricky piece is that's not really a great self-assessment because some people may be having a lot of issues and that won't help even though they actually do have visual problems. That only helps for sort of certain visual conditions that might come up with it. Um, but you are right in terms of that 's an easy thing that people can sometimes apply um, to see if it 's part of the issue i 'd say one of the more high value kind of self tests to see if vision's part of someone 's symptoms is what we call pattern glare um, or uh, one of the docs calls it the the visual aliasing test. Now, what pattern glare looks like is it's high contrast black and white lines. You can google it it 'll pop up in images. And if somebody looks at that and that seems to trigger dizziness or headaches, or it's just really bothersome to look at, what we know is that they're not processing their vision accurately. And we've actually been able to show on EEGs, when you actually watch how the brain's processing the vision, you can see changes in the response to that um, when vision's working properly versus when it's not. Um, So the pattern glare is almost the, you know, is almost your listener's best self-assessment in terms of, hey, is my vision part of my sensitivity and symptoms right now? Um, Because, again, all you're doing is taking in a bit of visual information there, and if that triggers symptoms, we know that vision's part of the problem.
0: I wonder if that's similar. I remember trying a test online, like a visual contrast sensitivity test. I had really poor results. Is that similar?
1: Kind of similar. The the lines are high contrast and meant to potentially elicit symptoms. Most online contrast testing is just trying to see how sensitive of like how low of contrast you can detect. Um, So the two are a little bit different in that sense. The contrast testing used to sort of determine how well the back, the tissue in the back of the eye is functioning in terms of detecting very small changes to contrast. Whereas that high contrast pattern glare is more of a good screener for, you know, is your vision part of your headaches or is it part of your dizziness?
0: And what are ergoptics?
1: <laughs> so er- er- ergoptics is a funny term that we kind of coined um, around using glasses kind of like ergonomically. So so typically, a lot of the time what we do is we use glasses in the way to just help people see more clearly. But what we often don't realize is that the same prescription that can help people see more clearly can also sometimes mess with depth perception or balance or it can make the eyes work together in ways that cause more headaches or screen sensitivity, et cetera. So there's a, ergotics is kind of the term we use to go, okay, we're prescribing lenses, not just for clearness, but to actually make things function in a better way. Um, so there's a number of, of things that can be used there. It again, it often helps to decrease symptoms and decrease sensitivity uh, within those things. So it's, it's, it's a pretty cool way of doing it. Some optometrists refer to it as kind of neurofunctional lenses, Um, But the key part is prescribing glasses in ways that help improve efficiency and symptoms, not just clearness.
0: And what is vision therapy? Are you able to give us an example of an exercise that you might give to one of your patients?
1: Yeah. So where these things come down to is once you identify what's working or what's not working visually, then sometimes the ways you have of treating things is there's ways to prescribe specialized glasses and tints to often help with function. And there's the side of what's called vision therapy. Now, what vision therapy is about is it's is really about recalibrating how the eyes and the brain work together. So there's specific exercises you can use that kind of provide the right feedback to essentially recalibrate things. Um, they can be deceivingly simple on the outside of stuff um, or incredibly complex. Um, you know, a lot of people might be familiar with something that looks, again, deceivingly simple at times called a Brock string. Um, if you Google it, there's tons of videos about that. The tricky piece is that sometimes used incorrectly, it can actually cause more issues. But the, the essence of vision therapy in a role, like in, in a summary is to kind of go, okay, what areas of vision are working, what aren't, and then how do we kind of recalibrate the ones that need to work properly? So for example, if, if you're reading and every kind of eye movement, your two eyes slip slightly with each other. It's going to cause you more fatigue, a harder time concentrating for a lot of people that can lead to headaches um, and difficulty with reading and screen time. There's specific vision therapy exercises you can do where you can actually train the brain to keep the eyes together in a much more stable manner. uh, Which then means that when the person goes to do that task in daily life, the eyes work together better, it's more efficient and less symptomatic. Um, And the, uh, the TEDx talk we did in 2014 covers a little bit of that and gives a few examples too.
0: That's great. We'll make sure that we post that link to your TED Talk in our in our podcast notes.
1: Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. It's, it, it gives a brief overview of stuff. And, and again, you look at it and with Lyme disease, you know, people who have Lyme disease, uh, <laughs> my wife has a great joke where she kind of says, you know, people are entitled to have more than one problem. Um, and sometimes, you know, the visual issues can come up with the Lyme or sometimes it can be slightly separate or exacerbated with it. Um, but all of those same kind of things from the TEDx still apply.
0: Can you speak generically about some of the improvements that you've seen in your patients who have Lyme disease?
1: Yeah, so uh, I treat quite a few patients sometimes with in the more kind of active acute stages of Lyme. And often I see where I tend to see a lot of people lately is, is after, after sort of the acute phase of Lyme. It might be a year, two years later uh, from the more kind of intensive area. Where they're still left with a number of visual symptoms. Um, so, you know, we see everything from if vision is part of the headaches, we'll see decreased headaches, sometimes decreased dizziness, really, really frequently to see decreased screen sensitivity and light sensitivity, um, improved tolerance to busy visual environments. Um, and if the reading mechanics have been impacted, you can often see improved concentration and retention of reading information too. Um, those are Those are just a few, so it's 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 actually kind of neat, and it usually depends on where someone's issues are, for where you can see improvements.
0: You only treat vision, uh, but you can work on this concurrently when people are dealing with other health issues or you know having treatments. And it just seems like this is such an important role that optometrists can play in improving the quality of life for their patients.
1: hugely and 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 it's never too early within the Lyme process to really start with that because even if it is in a really acute phase, you might not do something as far as the vision therapy goes, but very often there's actually lenses you can prescribe that hugely improve somebody's quality of life. But the most important part of the visual exam, though, too, is to really rule things in or out because it, vision therapy and the, you know, kind of ergoptics or prescribing lenses that improve symptoms isn't so much about just, you know, oh, you have Lyme here, we're going to try these things. But really, it's like, okay, we know that Lyme is there. Or Now, if we run through a bunch of tests in terms of visual function, you're either going to come out of it and go, okay, hey, everything actually works the way that it should. Or, you know, here's the areas where things aren't working the way they should. And then you know what you can do to treat those. Um, And and that's just where it's important that the listeners know what to ask for in terms of testing. Um, Because when I came out of school doing routine eye exams, I wasn't taught how to test for these things. And it actually pains me a bit to think of how many patients I probably saw who had these kind of conditions, and, and I gave them the all clear because the eyes were physically healthy and they could see clearly or maybe they needed a slight prescription change. Um, but, you know, they walked out the door still having trouble in busy places and screen sensitivity.
0: Right. I do have one final question. So you and I both live in beautiful Victoria, Vancouver Island, and I'm curious to know if you see people in your clinic who are who are suffering from mold exposure.
1: That one's come up a number of times. Um, and, and usually when the patient kind of volunteers that information as well. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of joke with people, you know, I'm not picky. I'll, like no matter what else is going on, if I can treat the visual issues that are there as well, then I will. Um, but the mold exposure things come up a few times. And you're right, we live in a wonderful place, but it is a little bit more damp here. <laughs>
0: Well, I want to thank you so much for your time and sharing all of your expertise. We do have a couple copies of your book that we're going to be giving away through our Instagram, so people can go there to find out details. I just want to say, you know, keep up the great work supporting your patients as they create new pathways and giving their brains new strategies for vision. It's really important work that you're doing.
1: Thanks, Sarah. And and, and if I can just add, too, for your listeners across the country that way, um, Vision Therapy Canada does have a listing of docs who work within this area. Um, so if they find somebody local, they can always ask their office if they have any experience with Lyme disease um, and with some of the, you know, testing around visual sensitivities with that. Um, that way, uh, you know, people can find somebody local to them and, you know, seek the help that they may need.
0: Wonderful. We'll post that in our show notes as well.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's it's amazing and, and thank you for what you're doing with Lyme as well uh, in terms of the education and support that way. It's something that's uh, that's really been needed.
0: And that was Dr. Cameron McRoden, an optometrist in Victoria specializing in neural visual performance. You can go to our Instagram handle, canlime underscore Canada, for more details about the book giveaway. I'm glad that he reminded us about the role optometrists might play in screening for Lyme. If there are any optometrists out there looking for more training, Can Lyme has grants available to participate in the Lyme Fundamentals program through ILADS. My favorite new fact is binasal occlusion. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I'm so glad I asked that question. And that's another podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Cormode. And as always, stay safe in the outdoors.